Our scriptures remind us that we are a people who have a long lineage. As we gather together in this space, we each have many family backgrounds. Some of us might know a lot about them. But we also have all of that set aside and we have a shared lineage as people of faith. In that lineage, we are the image of a tree that has been grafted together with different branches that grow into one whole. In that lineage, through the stories of scripture, we hear that we are a family, a people who has been enslaved and set free. And the Lord God never wants us to forget that that is our shared experience and that God is the God who liberates us. We hear that we are a people who have wandered and found a home. We hear that we are people who have been exiled and lost everything and started over in a new land. And we should remember how that must feel when there are strangers, aliens, foreigners, the Bible tells us, wandering in our own land. We have this story of as a people of faith, so that at each turn we can learn lessons from the past. There are times we have been the oppressor and times that we have been persecuted. And now we pause to listen to the story of a people sent into exile, their homeland stolen, their temple torn down, and the people scattered. So let us pause to hear the word of God for the people in such a time from the prophet Jeremiah. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. These people who have nothing but will have to start again. A people who will learn resilience, strength, and faith in God through it all. We keep these stories to remember what our people have been through and to help inspire our living. And our second reading also describes a different kind of community of exiles from the Gospel of Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went. As they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine? 
Where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of God's holy word. You know that I am a big fan of Brene Brown. If you're not familiar with her, she has given what I think is the most watched TED Talk ever. She is a sociologist, and she tries to collect real data on humans and human emotions. Probably the hardest thing of all to study, but she has made an actual study of it. So, I remembered that I had really loved what she had to say about gratitude and joy. She explains that there are no people who are joyous who are not actively practicing gratitude. And she says the practice of gratitude comes first. So it isn't what you might think of, that you might have this moment of joy and then be thankful for it. Instead, it's a posture of gratitude that allows you to feel joy. And she says this spirals up, elevating your life, but what it begins with is gratitude. But she says, not an attitude of gratitude, as some people say. It's not enough to just feel that warm, fuzzy, thankful feeling in your heart. You have to do something about it. It's a tangible practice. And she says, practicing gratitude invites joy into your life. And joy, she calls, I love this, is the good mood of the soul. Joy is so much more profound and deep than a simple happiness, the good mood of the soul. So with everything that vies for our attention, our time, our devotion, and most of all, our money, as we come to this season of giving, I wonder if we might think about giving money away, giving it to charity, whether it be to First Church or to other charities that we care about, if it isn't an act of rebellion to a system that is always trying to use us. If God wants our ultimate liberation from everything that seeks to control us and to define us as anything other than God's beloved, isn't giving money away a way to achieve that ultimate freedom? When we think of the choices that we have, if we were to spend money chasing a false life, imagining that this or that object that we could purchase could make us happy or fix some problem area in our life, giving that gift or that money back to God's work acknowledges that the true power over our completion and fulfillment and search for identity is work that only God can realize. So isn't this the surest way to practice gratitude and experience that increasing joy to share with one another? It sounds so simple, but I wonder why it is that we spend so much money on things and why it is so hard to stop. So here's a true example, true story. Last night I was looking for this quote from Brene Brown. So I did a Google search, and what do you think came up? All of these things that I could buy that had something like this quotation emblazoned on it. Would you like a coffee mug? Would you like a poster? Would you like a frame to put your poster in? Surely you are searching for this quotation about gratitude and joy because some company can part you from your money over it. Does this happen to you? The marketing is so clever. 
So I realized that part of the problem in our lives is all of these competing demands for our attention. Through advertisements and communications that we receive, I've been noticing that most of the emails that I receive are actually just advertisements. So even just going about my daily life, trying to communicate with people, it is as though I am in a shopping mall or as though I am going through my home and every object I've ever purchased is tapping me on the shoulder, competing for my attention. Does it feel like that to you? So I decided this past week as a spiritual practice, I would unsubscribe from all of these emails. Mm -hmm. Have you tried? So you click on unsubscribe, and we're so sorry to see you go. Would you like a coupon? Or perhaps this was a mistake. Would you like to receive 10 other communications we could possibly send you? Or it will take a few days for us to process this request, and in the meantime, they just start spamming your inbox all over again, trying to win you back as a consumer, because to the system, you are valued for what you can put into it only in terms of being a consumer. Your identity should be formed by the things that you can buy. So my favorite one of all was, oh, we're so sorry you don't want to receive email communications anymore. How about texts? (laughs) It's incessant. And then the deeper problem is that there are things that I actually care about. Ministry newsletters, really helpful magazines, there are political campaigns that I care about things that I would like to be more engaged in, and we simply do not have the time to read everything, to open everything, and to commit ourselves as much as we might like to all of the different demands on our time, our focus, and our energy. So it is a real spiritual practice to discern what we would like to do with what we have, our money, our time, our attention. It takes work. You might know that there is an ancient practice called tithing, when you give 10% of what you have right off the top to the church. Well, I actually think a deeper spiritual practice is to really question what it is that you've been given and what you have, and what would be an appropriate gift that would make you feel joyful when you think about all of the things that really matter to you. Let's think about this together in the next month and realize what it is that will actually make your heart sing when you make that gift. Last night, you might, you might know that um, the Netflix special has come out. Do you remember that the church was used to film a scene for a Netflix special, Mr. Harrigan's Phone, based on a Stephen King thriller and a funeral scene was filmed right here? And last night, I was watching it with Ainsley. It's, it's pretty clever. And it speaks exactly to the foreshadowing of this problem that our phones ultimately might steal all of our focus, might just be a way that advertisers might entrap us. It's really quite clever and profound. But this, uh, this quotation really spoke to me from that movie. Henry Thoreau said that we don't own things. Things own us. Every new object, whether it's a home, a car, a television, or a fancy phone like that one, is something more we must carry on our backs. So friends, if it is a countercultural practice to find ways to disconnect from the cycle of work and spend, giving money away flies in the face of everything we are programmed to do in our society. To pause, to reflect, 
to know who we are and whose we are and to give thanks for that and to do it in an action, not just in a thought or a feeling. Money allows us to imagine that we might have a different or so-called better life, a good life if it's based on things, but giving money away celebrates that, we already ha- that what we already have is more than enough. There are practical ways to practice gratitude, which you have just heard some this morning. Making a bed for a refugee, hanging their curtains, putting a stuffed bunny just so on a toddler's pillow, and remembering that our spiritual ancestors walked out of their homeland with nothing, and empathizing with people who have recently had to do the same. So let's return to our scripture and remember this leper. And remember how he falls at the feet of Jesus, overwhelmed with gratitude for the answer to his prayers, and says thank you. So beginning with how this leper group, these ten people, were shouting from far away. We we imagine sometimes that the ancients didn't know as much uh, about communicable diseases. But here they are, socially distancing. These lepers who have left their home, left their community, cannot go hug their family members, are wandering around with absolutely nothing, and cannot even approach Jesus. So they shout him down from far away. Just like sometimes we pray for the things we need, we feel like we are shouting into an abyss. But that makes the end result so poignant. Did you catch that in the beginning they're shouting from far away, but once this man on his way has realized he's been healed and his prayers are answered, that's when he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and he's right there with him. That practice of thanksgiving brings us into such immediate, close contact with the divine. So worship and praise change our course and redirect us and bring us back into that closeness, no longer shouting from far away. Brene Brown, to quote her again, says that this gratitude practice extends the life of that emotion that might make us feel most alive. So I imagine for the nine who didn't turn back and say thank you, they quickly resumed the old patterns of their living. They quickly just became bogged down in whatever might have held them back before they had the spiritual experience. But it is only the one who, when he returns back, who has extended this practice of gratitude and by doing so, joy. So the other thing I think we should notice is that the other nine were just doing what they had been told. Again, society has just set us up to run this way. Just in the ways we purchase anything, they end up having our email and we check our email and we're just trying to go about our day, we don't even realize all of the ways that we are part of this bigger system. The other nine just do what they had been told, following the instructions. Go and show yourself to the priest. They were healed along the way as well, but they never stopped to celebrate it or make time for coming back and saying thank you. So this, I think, is the most important lesson, that it takes time to actually pause, notice what has happened, and stop there and reflect, not to just keep going along with that system. The most joyful people are the ones who are not continuing to ask again and again for more, but giving thanks for what they have. And so then, finally, there is this one outsider, this foreigner, this stranger. The Gospel of Luke cares so much that we not only hear about children, widows, women, foreigners, and think, 
the dominant group needs to just be welcoming and include them in the society. It's not just that. It's that these folks are put on a pedestal and held up as the model of faith. And Jesus really wants us to hear and notice this point. Is it only this one who you might translate as stranger or foreigner or alien? This one. And I think sometimes... We just stay in our own bubble with a small inner circle. And if we're able to find somebody who is so good at that practice of gratitude outside of our own bubble and emulate them, they might show us the way to live in this lifestyle. This is why it's so countercultural that we just are so easily caught up in not noticing everything that we're so blessed to have. So if we are in a bubble, can we find joy if we are able to get out of it? So these passages today help us set the practice of giving in the context of giving thanks, that sharing and giving what we have is an active way of participating in gratitude. So friends, there is, in fact, a secret to life. There is, in fact, something that you can do with your money that will make you happy. The secret is sharing, is being willing to hold what you have lightly, to say thank you to God for it and be willing to make a gift to someone else. So friends, may we hold these truths dear. May God make us ever more generous and thankful. Thanks be to God.